You know, the images we find in the scriptures are very important, aren't they? They really are. I mean, the Bible is just full of kind of paintings of God, in a sense. Yeah, images that we, we have of, of, of God. I mean, when Jesus revealed God to us as Abba Father, Daddy, I mean, everything changed. It really did. I mean, everything changed about the way we saw, we saw God. And when Jesus said, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and you guys, you're the branches on the vine. Once again, that, that changed everything. As we, as the church, as we tried, as we struggled to come to terms with what it meant to be in Christ. So today as we come to Psalm 23, we find another two images, another two kind of paintings, if you like, of, of God. And the first one that David paints is of God as a shepherd. And the second one is God as a, a loving host at a, at a mealtime, around a dinner table. So let's, let's read this important passage of Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, he is making an amazing statement. And apart for the time when Jacob in Genesis what is it, 46 or 40, 48? Where, apart from the time when Jacob, or, or as he became known, Israel, prays a blessing upon his son Joseph, and he says, May the God of my father and grandfather, Abraham and Isaac, who has been my shepherd, be your shepherd as well. Apart from that, this is the first time in the Scriptures we find God being referred to as my shepherd. You see, all of the other times that he's referred to as a shepherd, it is the shepherd of his people, Israel. But you see, this is different. This is this, this intimate, kind of different way of looking at God. David is not, you know, not just one of the flock. David is saying, I have the Lord's attention Specifically, he cares for me individually. And as a result, I have no want. I lack for nothing. You know, everything that was promised David is given to his son and heir, Jesus. This is a very important concept. You've got to get this. Everything that was promised to David is inherited 
by his son and heir, Jesus. And do you know what? On the last page of the Bible, virtually the last verse, Revelation 22.16, this is where the exalted Christ, the Son of God who is sitting next to God Almighty after completing his work on the cross, the incarnation, the crucifixion, resurrection, the ascension, the exalted Christ sitting at the right hand of God says, I am the root and the offspring of David. I mean, it's an extraordinary thing to say, isn't it? To mention David. But you see, you've, you've got to understand there's so much in that. All that is David's is Christ's. And get this. All that is Christ's is ours. Do you get it? It's ours. If we are in him, if we are in Christ. See, so when David makes this amazing statement about his, his kind of individual relationship with the Lord, right at the opening of this psalm, this is a truth you can own. <laughs> This is a truth you and I can own. That's why it's so important. See, the Lord is not just your shepherd in a kind of general sense, like, well, God loves the whole world. <laughs> no, it is more than that. It is so much more than that. See, God loves you. God cares for you. God cares for you. God protects and guides you as your personal shepherd. And as a result, you can say with David. You can say with him, not like, oh, that's a great song. I love those words. I wish that was true for me. No. You can say with David, knowing to the core of your being, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. What an awesome truth that. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, you need to keep that thought. Hang on to that thought because it will impact everything which follows. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. You know, I am told that to get sheep to lie down is extremely difficult. To get a sheep to lie down. See, they're flighty, kind of nervous animals. Especially when they're out in the wilds of the Judean countryside, exposed on all sides. See, David spent his early years as a shepherd for his father's sheep. He knew how difficult it was. He knew how rare it was for sheep to be brought to a place where they felt secure, safe enough to actually lie down. So when David sings of my shepherd, the one who brings me to green fields beside a gentle, quiet stream, he speaks of a shepherd, the Lord, who feeds and nourishes and provides peace, as well as other things, in the midst of great danger. He is the one who finds 
green pasture in a dry and desolate land. You know, there are times when life can seem full of so much turmoil, where there is so much going on and it seems that there is so much danger and distress. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can say we are not just feeling spiritually barren and dry, but we are spiritually barren and dry. But we need to hang on to this truth that the Lord, our good shepherd, our great shepherd, will bring us into a peaceful, nourishing, rejuvenating, renewing place where we can truly find rest and peace and life. See, that's what David says, he restores my soul. Literally, he restores life to my body. You know, as, I, as I said a couple of weeks ago, whenever we read in the Psalms, whenever the Psalms speak of the soul, they're speaking about the deepest, most intimate, most real part of a person. Psalm 23 teaches that God, our great shepherd, will restore life to the core of your being. What a wonderful truth that is. David then says, He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, so often in the scriptures, we find reference to life being lived along pathways. If you've spent any time reading the Proverbs of Solomon, yes, King David's son, I think there might be something in that, King David's son Solomon, you read his Proverbs and you'll find him time and time again making it clear that success and failure in life depend entirely on the paths you choose to walk. Now, whether your life will be full, full of happiness or misery <coughs> depends very much on the paths you choose to walk down. You open up Proverbs and virtually straight away you'll find what I'm talking about. My son, if you go down the path to the prostitute's house, her path will lead you to the spirits of the dead. Or he says, wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men who have left the straight paths and who walk on crooked and perverse paths. The paths you choose to walk down, they will impact every aspect of your life. But David says, the Lord guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, the Lord leads us. If we will follow him, he leads us down paths of righteousness. And do you notice for whose sake he does this? For his name's sake. Not ours. Not for our sake, but for his name's sake. Yeah, this is another very important truth found in Scripture. You've got to get hold of this. God's glory and honour are paramount. God's glory and honour is the highest thing. 
God's glory and honour is paramount. Simply because to deny the one most deserving of the highest honour and glory would be to live in falsehood. Would be to live a lie. But God is truth. God is truth. And he must have all the glory and honour simply because he is the only one deserving of all the glory and honour. For God to deny that would make him a liar. You know, it's a little bit like when, you know, when you have a family over for dinner and they've got little kids and the kids behave appallingly. Who does that reflect on? Does it reflect on the host? Does it reflect on the children? If you think it reflects on the children, that's probably the problem. It doesn't. It reflects badly on the parents. You see, it's exactly the same with God. He has chosen us to be his children. When we walk down crooked paths, paths which lead into sin and rebellion, it reflects badly on his holy and righteous name. It actually takes glory from him, yet he deserves all the glory. So David speaks rightly when he says, the Lord guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And despite what you might be thinking, there's something wonderful in this for, for you and for me. God is so rightfully concerned with his own glory and honour that he will go to extreme lengths to ensure that we walk in holiness and righteousness. He will. Lengths so extreme that they would eventually result in him allowing himself to be put to death on a Roman cross, to set us free from sin and rebellion. Lengths so extreme that he would do all that is necessary so that we will all eventually be made into the, the very image of the character of Christ by the gift of his Holy Spirit who comes to live within those who are in Christ. Lengths so extreme that those who deserve death actually, by the grace of God, receive life for his glory because he deserves it forever and ever and ever. And that's why David can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Now in the Middle East, as shepherds, look for green pasture for their sheep. They would often have to take the flock along valleys full of deep shadows where, where bandits and thieves might hide. You know, waiting to ambush a, a lone shepherd, particularly a young boy, and, and to steal his flock. I can imagine that valleys would be scary places for people to travel. You see out in an open field, you can see them coming. And you can run. But in a valley, it's a very different place, isn't it? Valleys could be scary places for people to travel, especially in ancient times. But the ultimate scary place for all people of all times is the journey through death. 
And David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. You see, our God, our great shepherd, walks with us. He walks with you through all the trials of life, even the greatest trial of all, death. Whatever you are going through, no matter what it is, the Lord is with you. That's a truth you can hang on to. Whatever you're going through, the Lord is with you. Now these next words are really important. You know, I've read them so many times, but their significance for my life, I think has probably eluded me until now. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Shepherds in ancient times had two things with them at all times. A rod and a staff. Now the rod was actually a club. A club or a a baton or a cudgel which the shepherd kept in his belt as a weapon. It was a weapon to beat off wild animals, to fight off thieves who, who threatened the flock. The staff was a long stick with a a hook on the end. You can probably imagine the image, can't you, of the shepherd's crook. It's a long stick with a hook on the end. Shepherds used the staff to discipline the sheep. You see, if a sheep didn't want to stay with the flock, if it kept wandering off, the shepherd could hook it by the back leg and catch it and put it back into the flock. You see, the staff is about discipline. A disciplined animal is, is a safe animal, isn't it? In our home at the moment, we have, we have two dogs. We have Max, who's six years old. He's, he's fairly disciplined. He's a fairly well-behaved little dog. But we have Cooper, who's not six years old. Cooper's six months old. And he's a pup. I'll tell you what, he's getting there. He's learning. Max keeps him in line, you see. But if you were to walk down the street with the two dogs off the lead, which I wouldn't do, but if you were, I tell you what, Max would be a lot safer than Cooper because Cooper's still an undisciplined dog. He's likely to run in front of a car and get squashed. Discipline matters. Discipline will keep you safe and it ensures you walk down paths which lead to life. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, obviously, our God doesn't need weapons. That's ridiculous. That our God might need a weapon. It's just an image. But I'll tell you what, the image is important. It really is. You see, what David is saying is that he finds comfort knowing that God is ready and willing to fight off Enemies. God is ready and willing to fight off enemies to protect us. And even when when David wanders off, even when we wander off, even when we're undisciplined, God's staff will come after us to bring us back onto straight paths. This is what people often don't understand about discipline in the church family. 
There's all this stuff in the New Testament about discipline. And from time to time we need to, we need to kind of run with spiritual, biblical principles here. Church discipline is not about, it's not about kind of punishing someone. Church discipline is about bringing them back. Bringing them back into God's loving care. David rejoices in the fact that God protects him. Just like a shepherd with a club to fight off wild animals, God protects him from the attack of enemies. David rejoices in the fact that the Lord's staff is there to discipline and to bring him back when he wanders off. You know, sometimes I wish we were more readily, that we would more readily rest in God's ability, his, his willingness to protect us. Then somehow feeling as though we need to protect ourselves. That's the hardest thing, isn't it? When someone insults us or hurts us, not to feel as though I need to stand up for my rights here. And sometimes, as we draw good boundaries, we might need to do that. But there are other times we just need to say, no, I am, I'm going to just trust that God will protect my, my reputation. He'll protect my heart. He'll protect my marriage. He'll protect our, our family. And believe it or not, he will, he will even protect our church. David then shifts from this shepherd metaphor to the image of the host. It's an interesting kind of shift. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, once again, we need to understand something about the culture of the ancient Near East when these, when these words were written. When David wrote these words, a man's honour was very much tied, wrapped up in the way that man treated his guests. Very different to our culture. His honour was wrapped up in the way he treated his guests. When, when a guest was brought into your tent, especially when he came to share a meal with you, you think about it, he would be seated or even lying down. Your guest was extremely vulnerable. If anything happened to your guest while he was in your company, it would bring great shame and dishonour upon you, the host. I mean, even if the guest was your enemy, you would protect his life at all cost because your honour was at stake. To entertain a guest in the midst of enemies was a very risky thing indeed. So risky that it probably never happened. I mean, this never happened. And this is why David uses this imagery of the Lord because it was so outrageous. Even in the midst of enemies. My God, my shepherd. He is so powerful, so able to keep his own honour intact and his guests safe that he even prepares a table, a feast. For me, his guest. And he doesn't skimp on the trimmings either. Now he anoints his guests with oil. 
His cup is overflowing with blessing. Now we can read these words through New Testament eyes. We can think, we can see the link, you see, between anointing oil and the Holy Spirit, overflowing the love and grace of God in our life. I'm not, I'm not so sure David could see all that. Maybe he could. Maybe David just meant, God just blesses me abundantly. And he finishes by saying, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some of the other translations say, Surely his goodness and love will pursue me or chase after me all the days of my life. I love that. I love that, that God's God's loving kindness will actually chase after me even if I go down the wrong paths. And I imagine here there is much comfort in those words. Much comfort for people here whose children have walked away from the Lord. It is good to know, is it not, that God's goodness and love pursues us, even in the midst of our rebellion, even in the midst of our sinfulness. His loving kindness and his forgiveness pursue us. You know, I think it's interesting too that David speaks of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. I think it's interesting because David probably didn't really have a view of life after death. He really didn't. I mean, that's why David says. He actually cries out to God and says, if you let me die, will I praise you? Of course not. And yet he says this. I'm sure David, by the way, has a very different view now. (laughs) Praise God. I'm just not sure he had that view when he penned those words. But when we think about the house of the Lord, because of our New Testament kind of knowledge, and we have the New Testament, we have all that Jesus said, we straight away think of glory, of heaven, of being with God. But you see, for David, the house of the Lord was the tabernacle. It wasn't even the temple. The temple wouldn't be built until the time of his son Solomon. There wasn't even a temple. He's saying something quite amazing here. You see, as a non-Levite, as a non-Levite, David was not allowed to dwell in the house of the Lord. He wasn't allowed in there, let alone forever. So it's an extraordinary statement. See, that was the right of the priests alone as they offered sacrifices and worshipped the Lord. See, David is dreaming of a day He's dreaming of a day when when he would be able to stay worshipping the Lord in his tabernacle, in his presence forever. That's beautiful, isn't it? I just just want to be in your presence, Lord. I just want to see your face. I just want to be with you forever. Beautiful ending to his song, isn't it? That's what he's saying. And all I can say is, Praise God that through the offspring, the root and the offspring of David, Jesus, that's now possible. 
isn't it? For all of us. <laughs> that is now possible. That we can go, yes, Lord, I can actually be there in your presence, enjoying you and worshipping you forever. It's a good psalm. It really is. It's a great psalm. Psalm to live by. Let's pray together. Lord, there are some glorious truths in these few words, these six verses written so long ago. Oh, Lord, we thank you for these words to live by, these words that we can really, you could stake your life on this, you could build a life around this. We thank you for it. We thank you for all that it means that you are the root and the offspring of David and that you bring all of those promises to fulfilment and then you give them to us. Lord, we worship you this morning. Thank you for your word. Amen.